Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino, the communications specialist in Syracuse University's Office of Alumni Engagement. I'm also a 2003 graduate of the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications with a degree in broadcast journalism. I am so glad you found our podcast. Well, folks, today on the Cuse Conversations podcast, we are thrilled to welcome on Shayna Postman, an alumna from the class of 1995, who earned a music education degree from the School of Music here at Syracuse University. Shayna is down in New York City, which has been the epicenter of COVID-19, the novel coronavirus, for more than uh, three months. The city recently opened up, and it was great to see subway trains moving and business slowly starting to get back to normal. During the pandemic, Shana has done phenomenal work working with her rabbi and other uh, religious leaders at the Town and Village Synagogue in New York City. Shana is the cantor or the prayer leader uh, for the synagogue. She's also a teacher and a counselor, and she has been working on transitioning their religious services from in-person to online, uh, including everything from uh, adult education classes to your bar mitzvahs. And she's also done a great work in giving back to members of her community through the synagogue who are in need uh, during this coronavirus. Shana, thank you so much for making the time today. I can't wait to tell your story. Thank you so much, John. Before we get started with all the nitty gritty of the great work that the synagogue is doing, I want to ask you personally, how are you holding up New York City? We've all seen the video. We've seen the salutes to the nurses and the healthcare workers. It's been a a crazy time during the pandemic. How are you holding up? We start each day with our kind of morning prayer service and it just reminds me to kind of try to focus on and aim toward gratitude every day gratitude hope um and i feel like that is a great way for me to start each day anew um with with optimism and to kind of count my blessings so to speak um both for myself and my family and 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 beyond that to the community the city our, our country and the world and to and to kind of let that be my guidepost to kind of aim toward gratitude optimism and positivity so i'm very i certainly have my ups and downs and um and i have two daughters and and my husband also and so i think we all have our ups and downs um but all in all we do try to aim ourselves toward optimism which I'm sure has not been easy, uh, given, you know, the terrifying reality that we've had of more than 2 million cases of COVID, you know, across the country. We've far surpassed 100,000 uh, deaths, unfortunately, of, of people who have succumbed to the virus. It's, it's, it's difficult, and I'm sure it's challenging to maintain that gratitude and that hope and that optimism. Um, I, I guess before we get started with your synagogue's work, what what pointers can you kind of share? I mean, what have been some of the tenets that have really grounded you to stay optimistic and try to find a little bit of gratitude during these really crazy times? For me, it starts with waking up and taking a breath. You know, just really taking it down to like the bare bones of like, you know, standing up, walking. You know, it's I guess it's being in the moment and being really present enough to to acknowledge some of the things we take for granted otherwise. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll ask myself, like, I'll, I'll, I do this when I teach also, when I teach in our, our, our Hebrew school or our young children, I'll say, what's something that you took for granted today that looking back now you realize you're grateful for? So it's, it's, it is kind of a, a discipline and a practice of just what, am I, what, did, what did I miss going about my day? Oh, brushing my teeth. Oh, 
okay, that could be a moment of gratitude. You know, having running water, having, you know, I, I'm just like taking it down to like every single moment, every breath we take, morning, noon, and night, you know, to really um, allow ourselves to not take anything for granted. You know, because it can be overwhelming, as you were saying, to think about the loss and and the difficulties and the struggles and um, and the grief. I mean, I've seen a lot of a lot of people grieving, but and then if we and then if we say, you know what, we can't be in person to be with to be with one another at a time when we most need each other, but then we say, hey, we're still together. I'm grateful for you know, whether it's Zoom or whatever platforms we have, I'm grateful for the technology where we can be together even when we're not in person. You know, so I, I, I just, I try to find things that, um, like an opportunity um, to, to see how, how we can grow and learn and be together, how we can heal um, and be present for one another. Um, even as you were saying, you know, the demonstrations in our midst, you know, the helicopters that have been overhead in, in my neighborhood and some of the things that we've been seeing um, following the, the murder of George Floyd. I think there are layers, there are different layers. There are layers of anger, there are layers of sadness, but then there's also the layer of, of hope and optimism that this, you know, may, you know, the prayer that comes out of it is may this lead to growth and change. I try not to negate the fact, the, the pain, the fact that there's pain and loss, whether um, whether it's related to COVID or whether it's related to um, battling racism, um, so I feel like there, you know, to deny the pain um, would be would, would not be the direction I would take. But I would I would say side by side with that is is um, an opportunity to look for ways to actively find find venues for positivity, optimism, and growth. And I'm glad you mentioned um, the, the George Floyd and the, and the Black Lives Matters protests, because yeah, that's another <clears throat> incredibly emotionally charged issue that in New York City, we've seen, we've seen the protests. Your area is not immune to you know, people who are dealing with the, the bias. Uh, what role has your synagogue played in, 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 in that movement? Have you, have you had any kind of you know, dialogue, interactions? Like what kind of role with your faith-based center with the synagogue have you guys played in that, in those protests? There are, I think, many, many pieces. I'm part of, our, our synagogue is part of um, a group called our local faith communities. And it's a, a number of different churches, synagogues, mosques in the, um, in the East Village in Manhattan. And you know we've been talking about what we can do together, both virtually and you know someday in person again. Um, we've had a number of opportunities to come together, and sometimes we have um, what's called interfaith playdates, where the children of of the different um, of the different houses of worship will come together for like a playdate of both kind of doing experiential activities together and also some. Um, opportunities to really learn from one another, uh, from the diverse communities that are together. Um, we're also, our synagogue, um, our rabbi works with um, community organizing uh, with, within Manhattan, where also that's a separate, um, separate from this local faith, uh, our local faith communities. Um, he works in community organizing with a group called Manhattan Together, which also 
brings many different organizations from across a diverse spectrum together to work on on creating change and I know that a big part of what what they'll be working on is um, has to do with very practical actions toward battling the injustice and you know and, and moving us forward now it, it's it's a good segue to talking more about the you know the bigger picture of the role you know for the longest time our churches our mosques our synagogues and our other houses of worship have played such an integral role in the fabric of our communities um, with the limitations that have been placed on in-person gatherings you know how did your synagogue go about the difficult task of trying to replicate the in-person services in a virtual setting? It, it, took, it took a number of steps. It didn't happen right away. And it was a process and it's still, it's still continuing to be a process. What we, what we started off, it's interesting because there are a few different factors that go into synagogue prayer services. What we started off doing was we, we did um, like many, many, many people across the world, I understand, we started meeting up on Zoom, and at first, so one of the elements that's part of a of a of the Jewish uh, worship service is is a minyan, a minyan. It's a quorum of ten um, who are the age of majority, so post bar and bat mitzvah age. And you know, I many communities have addressed it in different ways. In our community, we started off, you know, so one of the questions is. If you're meeting virtually, can you, does it still um, count, so to speak, um, as, as having a quorum? As we were meeting more and more online, you know, some communities were grappling with that question because there are certain prayers that you can't recite unless you have a quorum. And one of them is the mourner's Kaddish, is a mourner's prayer. And um, so I think within, within, maybe within the first week, we, you know, the first few days we did not count. Um, we didn't, we didn't recite that prayer and, and the prayer, the other prayers that, for which one needs a quorum. And then within, yeah, I would say probably within a week or so, um, as, as a lot of rabbis were grappling with that question, um, they determined that there was precedent within Jewish tradition. Um, they found a precedent. They said, if, if somebody is looking through a window, they can participate in the quorum. So, so the so some rabbis and not everyone agrees on this, but in our our rabbi in our community, we accepted that notion that this is a window. So we're all looking through the window, and um, as long as people have their video and audio on, they can count as part of the quorum, and then we have our our quorum. That was a an interesting kind of you know seeing how Jewish law can change in real time and can be you know affected based on the fact that we're at a time, you know, an unprecedented time um, of need, you know, that that can drive certain certain things that and certain leniencies that wouldn't be present at other times. Another um, obstacle for us was meeting on the Sabbath. Um, one of the tenets of, of Sabbath, Sabbath observance for, for some, again, there's a wide range of observances, I'm sure, as with any religion, um, but within Judaism, there's a wide range and even within one's own community. So I was saying we're part of the what's called the conservative movement in Judaism. But even within that particular movement, there's a wide, wide range of different observances. Um, but in our community, it's a value 
for, for many to, um, to not use electronics on the Sabbath. So for the first two Sabbaths that we were in, in you know, quarantine, we'll call it, or in, in isolation, isolating in our own homes, we did not have Sabbath services. But throughout that time, as we were not meeting, um, the rabbi and I were still discussing and looking to see what colleagues were talking about and is there a way around it. And talking with someone in our community, a volunteer, wonderful volunteer who is very technically savvy and knowledgeable. And we did come up with a way around it. <laughs> so we, we figured out a way for people to kind of log in before the Sabbath starts and remain on that link and our... Our, the caretaker of our synagogue, who hasn't been doing that particular job that he usually does as caretaker of the physical building, he is of a different faith, and he is our caretaker, our host for our Zoom services on the Sabbath. So oh. he's the person who will mute and unmute everybody, um, which, as I say, it's still evolving because there are new updates in Zoom, which <laughs> make it a little more more um, tricky to mute and unmute everybody, but we're we're working on it. Um, but it continues to evolve. But I think that's been a huge boost to everyone's morale um, in our community. As we were saying, you know, it's wonderful, you know, with so much gratitude that we can be together even when we're not in person. That has been huge, I think. Have you found, Shana, that by going to the virtual, obviously nothing is going to replicate in person and, 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 and church services faith-based services are so intimate. And that's one of the, the beautiful parts that parishioners and members feel is that in-person connection. But do you feel that these Zoom, these virtual gatherings have opened up the faith to a larger audience that maybe might not have come to services in the past? Our attendance has, has we have seen some attendance shifts. Um, we do have more people attending on, on, a, on a morning, on every, every morning. Sometimes we would have struggled to get our quorum of 10. Um, in person, and now we have like 25 to 30 every morning um, participating in in services from their homes. And some some of them are, as I was saying, my parents are in Florida and they've been attending. We have some people who are formerly members of the synagogue who've moved to other places. We have someone from Denver who who joins in, someone from California. So we have been able to have some kind of, uh, you know, reunite with with former members in some ways. We have someone from the DC area who who comes and we were you know it's interesting because the families who have B'nai Mitzvah it's reminding me that we had a family um, had you know different celebrations that people have had over Zoom some people have have decided to postpone their celebrations and some people have said no why why wait to celebrate we, we you know if there's a for um you know becoming bar mitzvah is turning the age you know turning a certain age and so if this is the age you're turning, if it's the age of 13, and 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 some girls celebrate at the age of 12, but um, if this is the age you're turning, let's celebrate now. And some people say, you know what, this is not what I had in mind. It's too upsetting. I just really want to postpone it, and let's 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 see how things evolve. Um, so we've had had um, families who've decided, you know, different routes, and we're able to to have those conversations with those families. But those who have decided to to celebrate now have had the benefit of having um, people participate from across the country and even across the world. We had um, someone participating in a baby naming. Um, someone uh, joined us from Israel. So 
it's it's um, it has been interesting to see who's able to join us join with us for our for our different services um, and what opportunities it's opened up that may you know not have they you know they may not have otherwise been able to be there for that for that celebration and this actually allowed them to be there as the prayer leader when when you're gathering again your your members around through the zoom virtual uh, how are you trying to knowing that people aren't in person you know they're they're watching you through a laptop how are you trying to convey the same you know values of, of hope and gratitude and optimism to your members knowing that again you're missing something by having the in-person not being there, but this is the best that we can do given the current climate. Um, you know, it's interesting because many of the participants are people who have been together for services prior to, prior to us having to be together um, on this platform. So I do feel like on some level, our memory of being together kicks in a little bit. And for me, I will say, you know, just as we're having this conversation now and I'm like forgetting that I'm in my kitchen and like that we're, <laughs> you know, that we've just met and we're, um, but, you know, so you, once you, once you're, once you're able to kind of make that, make a little bit of a connection, sometimes you forget the surroundings. You're, it, it can be, I feel like in, in prayer, that can be extremely therapeutic. Um, if you allow your brain to kind of relax a little bit and not be hyper aware of your environment, the memory, in, in the case of services, the memory of having been together in the sanctuary, so it kicks in on some level. I feel like the there's a, um, I, I feel like it, it did take some time to relax into that. It took some time for my for me myself, um, and and for uh, participants. But I feel like people are actively looking for things to help enhance their ambiance. Like, for example, I don't do, I don't lead services from the kitchen. Um, I, uh, and when I lead it, I have a, a room divider behind me. And so it is a little different than just a regular Zoom call. And um, some people will put, you know, special, like a special tablecloth on their table or will enhance their surroundings in some way that's different from work so that they can, even if they're using the same computer that they use for work, they're able to make that shift. And sometimes a shift in the environment can help shift one's focus, um, you know, emotionally can help help make that leap. And, you know, I think it is challenging for some. We've ha we haven't had everybody log into Zoom. Some people, it's, it's, it's too upsetting to them. It just, they just miss it too, they miss being a person too much. And it's they can't uh, get past that we have to do this, and it seems upsetting to them. And I and I and I'm sorry that they feel that way. And and I know that there are people who don't like to use technology at all. And so we I, we have had some in person, um, socially distanced, um, con, you know, uh, contacts. And with even you know, in I I live in the neighborhood of my synagogue, and a number of um, our our members of the synagogue do as well. So sometimes we'll have socially distanced meetups for um, for various things and some people are able to meet up in person and they and they don't and they're just not comfortable with with meeting up on zoom some people once we've met in person will then show up on zoom because <laughs> I, I've told them my experience and that it hasn't been all bad and um, and in fact you know it's it's been really really beautiful to be able to stay connected how challenging has it been, Shana, when you're talking about running the gamut of services 
that are offered when it comes to the children and whether it's those getting ready for their bar or bat mitzvah, <clears throat> such a pivotal moment in, in, their, in their adulthood, um, or even the young education, the children's education classes. How are you handling you know, the questions and the uncertainty that kids might have about all of this chaos that is permeating our life here in 2020? It's interesting. I don't hear as much from the kids as I hear from their parents. Um, but I do try to open up the conversation so that the kids know, like, we, you know, I'm available to talk more, you know, so I have a student, for example, I have a bat mitzvah student who lives um, in, near, near NYU where there had been a lot of demonstrations and, and there had been a lot of looting. I, I, I realize they're two separate things. And so, but, but it's a lot, it's a lot, like, as you're saying, it's a lot for a kid. It's, um, there was a week where, where she, where we didn't meet because she just wasn't up to it. Um, but mostly we have been meeting and, um, and her, and when we started meeting and I said, how are you? Things are good. Da, 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 da. And, um, and then her dad came and said, you know, she's been having a really hard time. Um, so I, you know, and I, so I try to make myself available to talk more. Um, they, um, and, and then she was grateful for that. And I said, and so do you want to? And she said, no, thanks. <laughs> but, uh, but I put it out there, you know, um, so I think mostly, most of the people who have been really talking about it are the parents. And I think the kids, you know, I don't, you know, maybe it's a defense mechanism, you know, that they, um, they just want to go right into, and it, and it depends on the kid, I'm sure. But sure. mostly the kids I've been working with are either in a big group, like our Hebrew school groups we've been doing. I had been going to the um, teaching each class, um, prayers and songs. And then when we came online, we did mostly um, assembly style where it's the whole school together. Um, and, and it was interesting to see how different kids participated on Zoom and some were a little shyer and some were a little more vocal and singing on Zoom is its own challenge because there's a lag and so that 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 does come up and that's one of the reasons i think it's hard for some people to participate in services um but uh, you know ironically when we sing together every uh, the best we know to sing together is if everyone is on mute and singing along with me <laughs> from their homes so it's it's ironic and sad it's really sad really a loss but again coming back to the gratitude i'm just grateful we can be together at all and that we do have ways to sing and there are ways you know, I, I'm looking forward to being able to do some kind of collaborative musical video, which I'm now learning all these new skills. So, so the main ways that I'm working with children are through um, this the assembly, assemblage of all of the Hebrew school kids, and then also one-on-one -on -one with the Bar and Bat Mitzvah kids. Um, and, you know, I think as all teachers are figuring out right now, um, there's, you know, you, one has to kind of figure out when to push the student a little bit and and challenge and, and give them additional challenges and when to just be a little you know be compassionate and forgiving and know that things are going to go a little slower just because they're dealing with the weight of all this even if they're not talking about it now how have you seen the community in general the new york city community come together and really rally around each other because it's often said during times of adversity you learn a lot about the character of yourself and your neighbors. How have you kind of seen the New York City community rally around it, itself during, again, such turbulent times? Um, well, I know in my own community, um, 
we have been reaching out to everyone on our membership list, everyone on the roster. So within within those members, there are people who participate frequently. There are people who, um, you know, who feel connected, but may may we may not see all the time. So we, you know, I know people have been encouraged to check in on one another, and I think people are really taking an active role in just actually just physically reaching out to one another and finding out what people need. And I know a number of people have volunteered. Um, both within, you know, within our community and beyond to help those who are in need. And uh, whether it's making sure that people who are food insecure um, have, have options and, and meals, um, whether it's, you know, helping an elderly neighbor, you know, and it happens that many of our older adults in our own community, you know, they're, they have a fierce fierceness about them and they said well we're going to put on our mask and we're going to go shopping you know and some some people are less inclined to do that again probably depending on um their own personal level of like how vulnerable they may they may be um but you know people are 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 really i think actively trying to reach out and be there for one another and address needs that they can and every you know evening at 7 p.m um there's there's a a moment where you know people can stop what they're doing and holler out their window and some people are hollering thank you you know to just everyone who's hard at work making sure that for those of us who are who are staying home um you know just that we you know that's another thing to be so grateful for for all the people who did put themselves at risk in all kinds of roles in our community both whether it's in hospitals or in grocery stores and that's another you know it's another way to just be actively grateful now you mentioned the moment at seven o'clock and you mentioned music getting played. I want to use that as a segue to go back to your time at, at Syracuse University. You earned a music education degree from Syracuse. You were a member of the University Singers at Syracuse. Why did you choose uh, Syracuse in the first place? And what did that experience mean to you of studying music education here at Syracuse? Well, I'll start, I'll start in 1966, <laughs> which is when my father um, was a grad student at uh, at Syracuse University. So he was um, in sensory research, um, which was in the School of Engineering, and he continued on there as an instructor and ultimately a full professor and the director of the Institute for Sensory Research, which is unfortunately no longer there, but was was a really um, uh, was really going strong for a long time and did a lot of great work. So my parents um, uh, settled in Syracuse and um, I, let's see, when I went to Janesville DeWitt, um, high school, and I remember I was, I was very involved in music and, um, and my, and the music director came with me to actually to my audition at the Syracuse University School of Music, which I believe is, is now the Setner, Setner School of Music. And, and I'll just also add that this, um, it took it took a worldwide pandemic for me to have a reunion with my classmates, <laughs> um, but that's been really special. We've been we start we were talking every week for a few weeks, and we, then we got busy. But we're I'm sure we'll we'll, we'll continue that um, staying connected. And it, it, the reason it took the pandemic is because th- that's the first time we realized we didn't have to be in person to still see each other. Um, for I don't know why we never thought of that before. Um, but I think I think actually that's a big part of it is is the students who I studied with. Another big part of it are the amazing professors um, that I had, and it's interesting. I haven't thought about that for a while, but it studying at Syracuse University had a huge impact in my life in so many ways. 
both the content that I learned um, about being expressive through music, the history of music, and my incredible professors, Dr. Downing, Dr. Godfrey. Um, and I learned so much from their teaching styles of just being such incredibly accomplished musicians themselves, and then also the humanity in their teaching. But both, so both content and how to be how to be um, a teacher who connects with their students. So I would say, so there was probably every single day since I've, you know, since I've started my studies at Syracuse, I've used the skills that I learned and have benefited from the experiences of being part of the, the School of Music. You know, I, I want to take you through a little bit your your performance career as, as a singer. You've had some great destinations that you visited to perform, including Carnegie Hall and the White House and other venues around the country and across the globe. What is your favorite place you've performed? So I'll start off by saying the context in which I've performed in those venues was with the Zamir Chorale. The, 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 the Zamir Chorale of New York is over 50 years old. It's conducted by Matthew Lazar, who... He has been, and he has had an incredible influence in my life, both in his founding of the North American Jewish Choral Festival, where after um, I attended Syracuse University, actually was in my junior year, I believe, that I first attended this choral festival for one day, and then I continued beyond, um, just kind of opened my eyes to the world of of Jewish choral music and Jewish music, my exposure to which was limited um, in Syracuse. And um, and then it just kind of opened my eyes to the incredible breadth and depth of the kind of the, the world, the Jewish music world, um, which is part of what led to my pursuing, um, you know, the path of uh, being a cantor. And so, with the Zamir Chorale, I've had these opp- uh, opportunities to perform in these in the ways that you mentioned, and it's just been I- extremely meaningful um, on, on on a lot of different levels. It's interesting because I am someone who shies away from performing per se, and I see. I, <laughs> um, but if but I feel that it's you know if I'm able to really tap into an expressive place and 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 find the the meaning for me and whatever it is that i'm singing or chanting then it then it means something to me and if i have something to say i i am grateful for an opportunity to say it and um and so i feel like the location on some level is is an exciting thing to kind of think about and reflect on but the more meaningful thing to me is is the the content I know it has not been uh, easy at all, Shana, transitioning, and and you know we talk about this this new abnormal with our religious practices and with our day to day operations. But it's been commendable the work uh, that the town and village synagogue in New York City has done to bring these services to your members. And and, and I really I wish you and and your fellow members of the synagogue nothing you know, but the best and safe health uh, and stay safe moving forward. And thank you so much for coming on here on the podcast. It was really a pleasure getting to chat with you and hear about the great ways that you and your members are making a big difference in the community down in New York City. Thank you so much, John. It's it's wonderful to, to get to meet you and to talk with you.
Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse Conversations podcast. You can find our podcast on all of your major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also find our podcast at alumni.syr.edu slash Conversations and anchor.fm slash Conversations. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast.